It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. With Rick Broering, each week we take a look at uh, local topics in sports, national topics as well, and maybe even a crazy story or two. And we got a lot to get to today. We'll talk with Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. We'll talk Ohio State football as we continue our uh, our weekly run through camps. Last week we talked with Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com about UC. We'll talk some UK moving forward. We'll talk a little Miami. But Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. We'll talk some Ohio State Buckeyes football. But we got a lot more to get to on top of that hit it off rick skinny cincinnati reds rookie aristides aquino made history monday night when he became the first player in major league baseball to ever hit eight home runs in his first 12 career games aquino was hitting 385 with a 429 obp at 1.454 ops he has 16 RPIs and 11 runs scored to go with his eight homers. The highlight of his hot streak came Saturday night when he blasted three home runs in his first three at-bats against the Cubs. My question for you is, is Aristides Aquino a special talent or a fun flash in the pan? Hmm, I'm going to go a little bit bit of both. Um, look, you were stuck in the minors for a long time for a reason, right? And some of it was he was signed young. He was signed at 17 years old out of the Dominican. Um, and so what you're looking at is you're looking at a seven, you're, you're not even looking at a high school kid at that stage, right? You're looking at essentially what would be a, what a junior in high school, maybe a senior, but really you're not even looking at a high school kid for the most part. And it took him a while to get through numbers weren't eye popping coming up through the minors. He had some decent numbers. He had had an okay year last year at at Pensacola when they were the double A affiliate was doing some good things this year in triple A, obviously, which, which led him to to come up. And some of it was they had a roster spot as well. I don't. I don't think they even saw this coming, right? The no, Reds. no one. There, did. There's, there's no way. Um, but sometimes, you know, luck and opportunity kind of have a crossroads, and you got to take advantage of that. And he's done it. I do. I think he's the next coming of Yasiel Puig or something along those lines. I. I don't. I wish I could. It's fun to watch. It's great. It's. It. It's. It's incredible what he's done. I, if, if he is somehow your right fielder for the next seven years, you lucked into him, and I hope they did. I just don't know if that's the case. You know, it's funny you mentioned Puig, though, because I almost think that might be a, a good guy to look at for his upside, potentially. Maybe. Because uh, it's, it's probably not realistic to expect him to be like a 400 hitter well, the way he started well, off. You remember when Puig, came, when Puig came up, he was hitting like 700 for yeah, a ex- month. Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. belting home runs, and everybody thought, can't get this guy out. Well, eventually you could get this guy out, and he, was, he became a very good Streaky power hitter. Streaky power. That's exactly it. And, and that's, maybe that's what this guy is. And that's sort of what I'm thinking. Now, great. Yeah. I don't know that he's Yasiel Puig to where you're going to pencil him in as a starter regardless of right. whether he's up or down at the moment. But I'm intrigued by him. And the one thing that gives too. me the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope is the scouting report. When you go back a couple years, some interesting things come up in the scouting reports that were written about him. And that's that he's a very intelligent player um, and he had a great work ethic. And maybe those are the two things you've seen as a kid that right. he came up too early. He had a lot of struggles early on, and that put him behind the ball. He the big leagues too early. But got no, professional right. baseball too professional early. Professional yeah. baseball too yeah. early. Came over here too right. early, maybe. And it was just, a, you're not you're not just adjusting to a higher level of baseball. You're adjusting to an entire new world. Probably a new language. Yes. <laughs> right? So, I mean, and I do think. At 17, you throw me in the, you throw me in the Dominican at 17, I'm lost. Right. I'm you, lost. 
You right? can see where it would take a guy some time to get his bearings, but not only that, just mature after you struggle and and, and you, you have those issues to get back on your feet and understand how to overcome those things. And maybe it took him some time for that reason, but the fact that the Reds stayed with this guy for that long, despite right. him really not producing at all up until this season at the minor league level, it says something. And I don't know. It must be either that he's a uh, well, great teammate, a great clubhouse guy, or he always just had so much raw potential that they had to stick with him. Yeah. I mean, I, again, if you looked at last year, he had some power numbers in Pensacola. I think he hit 20 homers, maybe. He had you know, a decent number of doubles. Slugging percentage was pretty good. But I, I didn't I didn't know about the arm. I don't. I, I, this is a guy. He wasn't even a top. He wasn't even considered a top, what, 20, 30 prospect in the system. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean anything, but I would think that the tools, you would have at least heard about this guy's tools, that he's got raw power, that he's got this cannon for an arm, that he's got... None of that. I don't understand how he wasn't billed as William Opeña to us. I mean, we've yeah, seen yeah, this right, type of guy right, come up before. Right. Even if you told us he's probably not going to work out, right. but the the power is so great that, yes, like he's a great athlete and he has power. You're right. We've heard really nothing about nothing. this guy until he's until his home run total started creeping up this year right. in AAA to where people were like, well, you know, this guy's hit a, a ton of home runs. And give him a shot. It's time to give him yeah. a shot. It's, right. it's been incredible. I, I was asked by, by somebody how many home runs I thought he'd wind up for the year, and I, I did say 10. I had to go be the, the, the snarky guy on that comment. but um, He's at eight right now. I know. All right, so what's, I, he get, what's he get to? Honestly, what's he get to? Yeah, I think 10 is a little bit mean, but it I don't know mean. that it's that I, ridiculous. I know. Um I'm going to say like 13 I'd feel comfortable with. If you put the over under at 12 and a half, I'd feel like. Well, okay. No, it, it is funny. That means he probably would he'd hit five more over the last, what, six weeks of the season. If you, I mean, if you hit five a month, that's a 30 home run season, right? If you hit yeah. five a month in the season, 13 a good number. I think that's a fair number. My yeah, number's I, probably not very fair. Uh, well, I mean, it might be, unfortunately. Could be, could, could be 20. <laughs> Yeah, he's not going to keep up the pace he's no, on. No, of course not. Um, no, whenever it hit as many home runs in their first, whatever, 10 games, 12, yeah, 12 games, whatever, 12 games. And, and one of those games, by the way, was the game last year that he called up and that's a good barely point. played. That's, so, that's, I mean, a, that's a good point. Yeah. One bat, exactly. Yeah, so I, I mean, it, it is a fun storyline for this team at a time when they needed it because once again, Here they, they crept into the Correct. mix, lose three in a row, they're right back out of it, season pretty much over, but at least they have this guy sort of carrying the excitement and fun a little bit longer. I mean, I will say, I was on a minor league ball trip this week mm-hmm. with family. I was on the same trip last year. We didn't talk about the Reds a single time last year. This time, we were watching the Reds game on our phones while <laughs> we were at the minor league game, and we were talking about it the entire time. It's funny you say that. I was covering the Bengals game in Kansas City on Saturday night, and uh, Jay Morrison from the Athletics sitting next to me. And when Aquino came up for the fourth time, he actually got it up on his phone. And granted, it's a preseason game, and I'm still tweeting stuff, so I'm still interested. But I got, I got out of my seat to go over and look at that Fourth at back because I want to see. As an aside, shame on the Cubs. That was ridiculous. Four curveballs in the dirt, basically. Please, come on. I'm going to be honest. Come I, on. No, no. I disagree with you. It's about time. What were you doing throwing him the pitch in the third at bat? That pitch was right in his wheelhouse. I'm not saying. What are you doing? I'm not saying groove one, but 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 try to get the guy out. Give well, me yeah, a break. He did just get caught up, and he's a rookie. I mean, have Correct. a little pride that you Correct. can get him out. Yeah, but I'll be honest. After you. After you give up three in a row, it's at, at least someone showed a little bit of common sense to not throw him a pitcher right in his wheelhouse up I, and in again. I, I, again, I'm not asking you to groove him one. That but, third at bat was a joke. Yes. The fourth, How could the fourth, you throw that pitch? But the fourth at bat was a joke, too. I mean, try to get the guy out. Grow up. Come it's on. embarrassing. It yes. is. All right. I have a little bit of pride. Sticking with the red skinny, the ball club claimed shortstop Freddie Galfus off wires. Uh, off wires. Off waivers. Well, waiver wire. Yeah. <laughs> 
off waivers Monday and activate him to the 25-man roster on Tuesday, optioning utility player Brian O'Grady to AAA Louisville. Poor O'Grady. Galvis was let go by the Blue Jays after they decided to promote a few of their top prospects. In 115 games, he was batting 267 with an OPS of 743 to go with 24 doubles, 18 homers, and 54 RBIs. He made 98 starts at shortstop and four at second base, but Reds manager David Bell said he expects to use him a lot at second. What do you make of the Reds' newest addition, Freddie Galvis? It's a good kick the tires. I mean, he's got an they got an, he's got an option um, next year that you could pick up at a fairly reasonable price. Um, if you can't sign Iglesias, and maybe this is a, this is a chance to kick the tires. If Freddie Galvis swings the bat well, you you like him. He's good in the clubhouse. All the things that he's supposed all those things are supposed to be true about the guy. Then it gives you some leverage with Iglesias, perhaps, or it gives you the chance to just say, "Hey, you're going to price yourself out of our market." Have a good day. We appreciate what you did for us this year. I, I'm disappointed if that's the case because I, I think Iglesias has probably earned the chance to be the the everyday shortstop again next year. He's not. He's still not that old. He's going to be 30 next season. He's got a couple, couple of years probably in him. But let's just say that you do sign Iglesias. All right, now you've got another option at second base. I don't think Josh Van Meter is the long term solution there. I don't know what this means for Jose Peraza. I, I don't. Although, are we getting to the point where Josh Van Meter needs an extended look? I, I think, mean, no, I think, he's been putting up consistent I, numbers. I do. That, that, yeah, minor I, leagues and I, I agree with that part major of it. I, I agree, and, and I, I, I'm i probably guilty of it, and maybe teams are too, of pigeonholing guys. I think Philip Irvin's gotten pigeonholed. Maybe Van Meter's gotten pigeonholed as a utility guy, whatever. Um, I, I, I don't mind this move because I don't think it hurts anything. I mean, you're not taking on a huge contract. The option for next year is a good one, and it gives you some leverage and it gives you some some depth. I do think the one thing it does does do though is it it takes it bats away from a Josh Van Meter if you want to give him an extended look. Uh, I do think that, but no, I, I I've got no no problem with this move. Yeah, I think the only reason I know who Freddie Galvis is at this point is because have you seen that catch he made where he was going yes. out in left field? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, catch yeah. over his head. Yep, yep. Um, I like this guy. I mean, I like him when he was with the Phillies. I, I, I like the guy. I, I think he's a good player. I love that catch. That highlight is. is just it's fantastic awesome. Awesome. every time I see it. But the one thing I do like about him is at least he gives you on a team that has let's face it, struggled to get some power going in the middle of its lineup at times, and you've already gotten rid of Yasiel Puig. He has some pop in his bat for well, a little infielder. It's kind of the Scooter Jeanette thing where you, I, I, I'm one that I'll look at a double. If you're a 30 something doubles guy, that's what he's on pace for. He's already got 18 home runs, and you're coming to this ballpark, you could be a 30 home, you could be a 25 to 30 home run guy without a whole lot of effort. And I think that's what Scooter Jeanette, he turned some of those Milwaukee doubles into home. He was a 30 double guy in Milwaukee. Okay, so suddenly, suddenly some of those doubles are going over the wall in this ballpark. I think that's what it became. Plus, he was kind of getting into his prime and. I, and, I think it's a good pickup. I don't think it hurts anything. Well, you met the the Jeanette comparisons are very interesting because you met him, Jim, kind of coming into his prime. Yeah, he, in this case, you might be a little bit older. Yeah, but Galvis is also has the highest OPS of his career this season right. before he got let go. So I do think that's an interesting comparison of a guy making the move to Great American Ballpark. It could be an interesting move for the Reds. It I I like the idea. Yeah, I do too. I, I, yeah, it, it surprised me when I saw it. I mean, it, it, I'll be honest with you, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, I like this. It makes sense. And again, it gives you it gives you some leverage moving forward. It gives you another option because let's face it: if, if Iglesias walks after this year, and it's possible that he does, either prices himself out or you decide that he's not worth it, whatever, and you still may decide to sign him. Again, that's not off the table. Um, it gives you the chance to just simply say, all right, we've, we've got a replacement, and we've still got Peraza. We've, we've got options. Give yourself options. They gave themselves options. 
All right, we head to their neighbors. The Bengals fell to the Chiefs 38-17 in the preseason opener for both teams. The Bengals drove 75 yards and 14 plays on the opening drive and scored on a one-yard touchdown run by rookie running back Travion Williams. However, the defense allowed 400 yards and 23 first downs, including a seven-play 83-yard drive that ended with a one-yard touchdown run by Carlos Hyde on the Chiefs' first drive of the game. KC quarterback Pat Mahomes was 4-for-4 for for 66 yards and scrambled for 10 yards on that opening drive, which is the only one he played in the game. Skinny, were you more encouraged by the way the Bengals' offense played for that one series or were discouraged by the way the defense played for the entirety of the game? It's a well-phrased question. I'll I'll go more encouraged by the offense. I, I... Look, Pat Mahomes is going to carve people up, right? I mean, he just it's, yeah, it's they what won't he be, does. Bengals won't be the only one. Correct. You also didn't have William Jackson playing. You also didn't have Geno Atkins playing. You also didn't have Carlos Dun- or, or Carl Lawson playing. So you didn't have some parts playing. I'm not making an excuse. You just did not. Yeah, some top guys. And Pat Mahomes. The first throw Pat Mahomes made was absurd. Sean Williams, I still think, as we sit here today, doesn't even know that pass was thrown. I've never <laughs> seen a reaction from a defensive back in my life. It was like he was in trail coverage on, on, on Kelsey. Kelsey caught the ball, and at the time Kelsey caught the ball, he turned his head around to see where the ball was. I mean, that, that's how – that's that, it, it's, it, Pat Mahomes is an obscene – watching him warm up, Rick, it's the most obscene thing ever. He was four yards deep in the end zone, throwing the ball with a flick of a wrist to a guy standing on the other 35. Just warming up. Hey, I'm just warming it up 68 yards in the air. Have a good time with that. I just always go back to that season where he was sitting on the bench his rookie year after he got drafted, and Alex Smith was having a good year. He was having a very good year. Correct. Statistically, one of the best years in in all of football. And yet, those guys were just catching these rocket passes from this rookie quarterback going, Coach, yeah, you, we got to get this guy <laughs> get in this here. I don't, in there. I don't care what we have to do. He you got to get this guy on the is, field. He is absurd. I liked what the offense um, did on the opening drive. Andy Dalton was 7 of 9 for 80 yards. Um, it was quick. I mean, the ball was out. I mean, his back foot was planted, and he, was, he had an option already down pat. It was quick. He missed the throw to Josh Malone. It was a play-action pass. Um, in their play action game, a lot of times the quarterback will turn his back to the defense, and Andy's still getting used to that because a lot of you know, sometimes play action you don't. But in this offense, they do. They turn their back to the defense on play action sometimes, and he had to turn around. And he said he admitted he said I couldn't believe how wide open he was, and I panicked and tried to throw it too early. My feet weren't set, and I made a bad throw. And he did. He made a terrible throw. Should have been a touchdown, but I liked it. They 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 didn't run it great. Um, on that opening drive, and I picture Joe Mixon doing some things that Travion Williams probably is not capable of doing. I also see some guys that, that didn't block the way they probably should have blocked on that, but they overcame a penalty. They overcame the drop touchdown pass, and it was a very efficient, effective drive. I, I'm, I'm more encouraged by the offense. I, I'm looking forward to what the defense can be because I've seen it at times in camp when everybody's on the field and some of the schemes that Luana Rumo's doing in, in camp that he hasn't that he didn't do in the preseason first game and may not do all preseason. I think it's got a chance to be really effective. So I'll go. I'm more encouraged by the offense than discouraged by the defense. Did you see anyone else in, from you know the the backups and on the offensive side of the football that stood out? Well, I mean, he's not a backup, but the, the catch Auden Tate made, and he's done this in camp again. He continues to just win one on one battles. I, I think he, I think he not only pushes for a roster spot, I think he pushes for some playing time. I think the one thing that's really, really good is it's a clean slate with all these coaches, too. They're looking at these guys for the first time. They've seen them on film. They know some of what they can do. But No preconceived notions. I mean, I, Jim Turner, we, we're talking to him. They, they've, they've mixed up the offensive line a little bit again. Michael Jordan's now, as we talk, we'll talk with Doug Marie, uh, from uh, Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com about, uh, about Ohio State, but he's an Ohio State product. He's kind of pushing out left guard. It's kind of his turn to, to run with the ones, but, boy, they sound very excited with him. 
Trey Hopkins is running with the ones, and Billy Price is running with the twos. And there's a little of, I think it's Trey's turn to, to see what he can do. But I think it's also, look, Billy, you need to do better and do more. And he, yeah, Billy's playing a little bit nicked up right now. But Jim Turner said, there's no incumbents. There's no, they're, they're, and I think that's the way they treat it. There's no incumbents. I, you know who guys are. You know what guys are capable. You probably have some, but there's no incumbents. I like that terminology. Let, let's let these guys fight for a job. So I, I think that's the good part to it. Um, you know, Ryan Finley played really well. I got to give him credit. I thought he was terrible in, in camps. I'm not the only one that thought that, but he was, he was, he wasn't spectacular, but kind of like with Andy ball was out quick. He was decisive. Made a great play on the touchdown pass where he, he, he was looking right all the way, looking right all the way, turned and saw the running back in the left flat all by himself, flipped it to him for an easy touchdown. Um, Zach Taylor talked on, on Tuesday at his press conference about another play he made where they came with a with an all-out blitz, and he kind of stood in there and was patient and made the right decision, right throw, didn't panic. So I'm looking forward to seeing him though play against twos, and maybe even depending on when he gets in the game against Washington, maybe playing against ones. He's going to play with the second team offense. I want to see what he can do against a little bit better competition. But I, I was encouraged by that. I think it was encouraging enough that they're now looking at Jeff Driscoll for other options. So well, we're going to talk more about that yeah. here in a second. You mentioned the offensive line though. Well, let's talk about them yeah. first. They allowed three sacks and four tackles for a loss while piling up four holding penalties. John Cherry, who started at left guard and played the first three series, was called for two of those holds. We expected the offensive line to be a problem coming into the season. How big of a problem was the offensive line on Saturday? And do you think there need to be any personnel adjustments? Yeah, I, it was mostly the backups. John Jerry did have two holding penalties, but he played well enough. Again, my eyes didn't see this, but ProFootballFocus.com had him on their team of the week. He played that well, and that included the two holding penalties in, in whatever, 21 pass, pass protection situations. He didn't allow a sack, didn't allow a pressure. Okay, I'm, I don't watch offensive line play that closely, but if you want to grade him, great. I, I know Jim Turner talked about he thought John played very, very well. Michael Jordan now is playing in place of John. I think, again, it's just to say, hey, we want to see if this – they, they love the kid. I think they want to see what he can do against better competition. Um, yeah, most of the issues are, are the depth issues. I mean, they, they just are. You, you're, you're not very deep. I, they're, they're trying to find some. I mean, Kent Perkins played 20-some-odd snaps, and, and I guess he was so bad that he decided to quit football on Tuesday. He literally said, I'm gone. I, I retire. Um, See ya. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, I got my free Gatorade. Yes, I'm out. Yes. No, I mean, I thought the first-team offensive line did a good job. They, they were on the field for that opening drive. That opening drive, Andy Dalton, I don't think, was touched. Um, you know, seven of nine for 80 yards. They they didn't run it great. They also didn't run it awful. They got behind the sticks. The, the two holding penalties or the holding penalty on that drive, one of the two for John Jerry had one on, on another drive because he played a little bit longer than, than some of the other starters. Um, put him behind the sticks a little bit, but I I, I was encouraged by by the first team offensive line. The depth, yeah, the depth is an issue, and that's where some of the some of the problems came in that second team. Jeff Driscoll got a lot more pressure than either of Ryan Finley or. Or Andy Dalton, Finley ran the threes, Dalton ran the ones. It was kind of that middle group that you're looking for depth is the one that didn't do the great job. Do you think the the starters are pretty much set with where they were at? Or? No, I, I think I, I, I think center's up for grabs. I think left guard is still up for grabs. If push came to shove and you start, had to start this way, if this, was the pre, if this was the regular season opener this week, I do think Billy Price would be the center. I do think John Jerry would be the left guard. 
Um, but I, I think it's good for them to see. All right, is, is Trey better? If it's a if it's a, if it's a fifty fifty proposition, let's see what he's got, and they want to see what Michael Jordan's got. Um, yeah, I mean, right tackle set with your guy Bobby Hart. Right guard is Son. set with John Miller. Left tackle set with Cordy Glenn. Although Cordy uh, got nicked up in practice on Tuesday and, and came out for a bit. But John Jerry got a chance to not only play left guard in that game, but he played some right tackle with the twos. He played left tackle in practice the other day. So I think they're trying to just find some some depth. Uh, you know, you're only going to carry nine, ten linemen on a game day. You're only going to carry seven, maybe eight max, but it's usually seven. So that means you only have two backups. They got to be able to play a bunch of different spots. Trey can play a bunch of spots. Um, John Jerry can pr- play a bunch of spots. I know Jim Turner unsolicited. This stunned a couple of us that were talking to him. He unsolicited was speaking very high of of Andre Smith and 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 you know in his the way he's played in camp and it almost was one of those. Wait, wait are you watching me? Same guy, same thing. Um, so I think they've got. I think they're pretty much set on who they want to keep, but who they want to start, I still think is up for grabs. All right. You, training camp wrapped up at Paul Brown Stadium on Tuesday, and there was an interesting tidbit that emerged from practice, which you wrote about on Local12.com. Quarterback Jeff Driscoll, who's currently battling rookie fourth-round pick Ryan Finley for the Bengals' backup spot, took reps on special teams and at wide receiver. Driscoll is a big athletic guy listed at six foot four and 235 pounds. Is there any possibility the Bengals keep Driscoll on their final 53-man roster as a hybrid player if Ryan Finley beats him out as the number two quarterback? I do think there is. Um, it, 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 it'll be interesting because you're going to have to carry A.J. Green on that final 53-man, and he's not going to play for a few weeks, so that's a spot taken. Now, again, on game day, you have to make seven guys inactive, so early in the season you can carry a guy like that because you make him inactive. It's not a big deal. I do think they, they, they this is an interesting one because, look, Ryan Fidley, no matter what he does in the preseason, he's still a rookie. He still has never taken a snap in an NFL regular season game. Jeff Driscoll's not great, but he's taken snaps in an NFL game. He's been competent, not great. He's been competent. He's not going to freak out. Correct. I, he, look, he did not play great against Kansas City, and some of that I do blame on the offensive line. He was. It felt like every time he took a snap, he was running for his life. Um, and and that, that, that can be very tough. But it's funny. Um, Jeff Driscoll... If you if you were to see him in person, if you were to see him in the locker room with just a pair of shorts on, you, and you look at him the way he's built, you're like two thirty five on that guy. Really? I mean, he is. He doesn't look two thirty five, but two thirty five is a pretty big man, um, and he can run. I mean, he is fast. And the fact that he's open to wanting, he he wants to do this too. I think he 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 does want to be in the quarterback battle, and he still is. It's still possible Ryan Finley goes out on Thursday night and absolutely craps his pants and is awful, and you're back to Jeff Driscoll's the backup, and then you have to decide what are we going to do with Ryan Finley, right? right. Um, but I think it's a good insurance policy, and and this is a guy. I mean, can he go cover kicks, cover punts? Can he be Taysom Hill? Taysom Hill is technically the the Saints' third quarterback, right? But he's also their kick returner. They also use him in the, in the as a receiver. They also use him as a wildcat quarterback on occasion. I think you can do that with Finley. Use him as a wildcat quarterback on occasion. Or uh, Driscoll. Or Driscoll, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I think Hill's the perfect example of how the NFL has kind of evolved to make this type of position, this type of player, make sense. Like, normally, Jeff Driscoll, if he was willing to admit... I'm not a quarterback, that'd be a bad thing for his career, and he'd be out of the NFL very soon. The way things have trended, though, over the last few years, I think there is some value in a guy that has some versatility, that can do a few different things. And like you talked about with Hill, Driscoll's that same type of guy that he has some explosiveness. You put him in in a wildcat situation in the red zone. Maybe he's just a red zone specialist. Correct. Maybe he does that Tebow thing where you sneak him up to the line, he jumps over and at 6'5", 6'6", he dumps it over the top to a running back. You can do some things with him to where he may have some value more so than the last 
two guys on your 53-man roster otherwise would have, plus he's a third quarterback. Yes, and he's the insurance policy that, look, look, if it's a regular season game and Ryan Finley goes out and just... Just it's too much for him. I don't think it will be. I, I, I again. I, I still am gonna. I need to get my head around. Was Saturday a fluke or is Saturday really what Ryan Finley's about? And and I hope it is. But look, it's a great insurance policy to have. And I, and I mean, the dude is an athlete. He is. It, it, it is funny. You you. Everybody has these quarterbacks thinking that there's guys wrapped in bubbles and they can't do anything else. You know the best athlete probably in the Bengals locker room is honestly the best athlete in all around sports. If you want to, because he wins everything every time I watch him do something, is Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton is a ridiculously good athlete, not just a good um, quarter, not just quarterback, right? But like he, body control and hand-eye coordination and skill. And I, all that I, stuff, I've, yeah. I've had people tell me that that they they have a basketball court inside that Andy will sit there and shoot jump shots, three-pointers, and never missed. Like, he he was, he was a good basketball player. The guy's an athlete. Jeff Driscoll played baseball professionally. He was drafted by the Red Sox. He didn't play for He was drafted by the The guy is a great athlete. Use him. Use him in some other capacity. I'll tell you what. They threw a fade. Andy threw a fade route to him. He did get some reps at wide receiver on Tuesday. He went up with William Jackson, and honestly, it looked like a wide receiver competing for a football. He almost came down with it. It was a great battle. It was a tough ball to catch, but he battled for it. I... I think there's some upside to this. I, I think it's I think it's I think it's really smart on everybody's part. And the one thing Taylor said that I thought was interesting, he almost seemed like he was most excited about the concept. He says, "Hey, there aren't just a ton of six six two thirty five right, guys that right. are walking around ready to tackle." So he's like, "If he's willing to hit people for us, we'll use him on special teams." Absolutely. Like we need guys like that because again, just speed wise, he's probably one of the five fastest guys on the team. He really truly is. Let him go down, run, run and cover kickoffs, run and cover punts, do all that stuff. Get you a job. I think it's great. I think it's a smart idea. All right, Skitty, leading up to the start of college football, we're going to be checking in across the region with beat riders at different camps to get a feel for what to expect from the local teams. And we continue our tour with a stop in Columbus where Doug LeMaurice from Cleveland.com and the Buckeye Talk podcast is standing by for another morning practice with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Last week we talked to Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal. You can check that out on last week's episode. But, Doug, Ohio State is coming off a 13-1 campaign last season. Gone is Urban Meyer. In his Ryan Day, plenty of talent moved on, including quarterback Dwayne Haskins. The Buckeyes are ranked fifth overall in the preseason coaches poll. We'll put you on the spot to start here. Who was Ohio State's best player on each side of the ball coming into the 2019 season that fans locally should be looking out for? Ohio State's best player on each side on, on defense is definitely Chase Young, who uh, is one of the best defensive players in college football. It's a conversation for the best pass rusher in college football. Uh, very possibly could be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft next year, um, is just the next in line uh, behind the Boses and some of the other great defensive ends they've had here. He was a top 10 national recruit when he got here. He's been on that path. He's just a, just a dynamic guy um, getting after the passer. He was injured for part of last season, dealt with some ankle problems that slowed him down a little bit. But I think there's every expectation that he's going to really disrupt uh, opposing offenses this year. And then the best player on the offense is, is interesting. I guess it's probably J.K. Dobbins, but he has been talking a lot. And we have been writing a lot. I just wrote about this last week that he was not great last year. He averaged like seven and a half yards a carry as a freshman. And then last year he averaged like four and a half yards a carry. And that was quite a drop off. He felt like he was trying to break too many big runs. He was sharing the load last year. So he was trying to like, you know, make spectacular plays and was in his own head a little bit. And he's really been dedicated since the spring of, of trying to get back to the standard that he wants to play. And I think he's in a conversation at his best as one of the best running backs in college football. And I think he will have a bounce back here. 
All right, Haskins is gone. Other playmakers are gone. Offensive, some offensive linemen are gone. Off of an offense, Doug, that, that set records last year. It was He was explosive for sure. Um, new quarterback, new coaches, new playmakers. Um, what's the biggest storyline on offense? Is it is it Justin Fields or is it something else? No, it's Justin Fields. It's, it's uh, you know, how close to his upside is Justin Fields going to get in year one at Ohio State? Yes, they have four new starting offensive linemen. Yes, they lost three senior receivers. Uh, but it's really about the quarterback. And he has a strong arm. He's a much better runner than Dwayne Haskins. But, you know, he, he played a little bit last year at Georgia as a true freshman and he transferred here. He's just, he's learned the offense. You know, Dwayne Haskins had two years um, at Ohio State before he started. Dwayne Haskins is going to have like a spring before he starts at Ohio State. So, you know, I, I think much of what anybody would predict for their season is based on how good you think Justin Fields can be. Because there is a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. If you believe Justin Fields is a legitimate Heisman candidate, then I think you believe Ohio State's a national title contender. If you think he's going to have some bumps as a first-year starter, then I think you believe Ohio State as a team is going to have a few bumps. Yeah, how much do they do they do they tailor the offense to his skill set? It, it always felt like when, whenever I saw him play at Georgia, and it wasn't a lot, um, it, it felt like he was mostly a runner. He's more than that. He was certainly recruited for more than that at Georgia. Uh, do they tailor the offense more to him? They're going to go. They're going to do. If, it's more than I think they'll get back to what they did before. And then right. last year they tailored it to Dwayne Haskins. So what people are accustomed to with an Ohio State dual threat quarterback who can run the zone read with the running back, who can scramble when he's pressured, but he can also sit back there and make throws. That's what Justin Fields is going to be. Last year they got away from running the quarterback because that wasn't Dwayne Haskins' strength, and Dwayne Haskins was the best thrower Ohio State has ever right. seen. So it's more about reverting to what they've done so often, but they're definitely going to incorporate him into the run game. I think they're going to ask him to make probably less complicated throws early on, less fewer throws in the middle of the field, that kind of stuff, because you just you cannot expect him to do what Dwayne Haskins did last year, because nobody in Ohio State history right. did what Dwayne Haskins did. No last question. Year. Right. You mentioned the the playmakers that he's going to be throwing to. Uh, real quick, is anyone emerging out of that group in your opinion? They'll probably rotate six receivers to their three spots. Again, they have uh, K.J. Hill might end up as Ohio State's all-time leading receiver by the time he's done this year. He is what he is. He's really good and consistent reliable. I think people think Austin Mack and Ben Victor as seniors could still break out. But the guy everybody's talking about is Garrett Wilson, the true freshman from Texas, five-star kid, uh, who everybody expects to play as a true freshman. Uh, we might be out over our skis a little bit with him, but I think people are waiting to see how much he might flash in year one. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, the Ohio State defense finished number nine statistically out of the 14 teams in the Big Ten last year. The Buckeyes gave up more than 400 yards per game and ranked 105th in the nation in passing defense and 76th against the run. In your opinion, what's the biggest storyline on the defensive side of the football? That a bunch of guys are back, but everything is completely different. Uh, They have four new defensive coaches, so they redid basically the entire defensive staff. Uh, they have nine returning starters, but I think there are going to be some returning starters who don't start because they have a bunch of second-year guys who are really highly ranked who I think they might decide to get on the field a little bit. But then they also have some third-year guys. You know, Chase Young, I mentioned. Jeffrey Okuda at corner is a guy who is looking like someone who could go in the first round of the NFL draft next year. He looks like the next great Ohio State corner. Um, 
Baron Browning at linebacker is another guy who was a top 10 national recruit in 2017. They just have a lot of guys who I, I think could be in line for big years, but you're not 100% sure about them yet. I think on defense, you're sure about Chase Young, you're sure about Okuda, you're sure about Malik Harrison at linebacker. They still have some jobs up for grabs, so it, it's hard to get a full read on this defense when you don't know who's going to start. But I think the main thing is they, a lot of the players are back, but I think some of the guys in the field are going to be different. And the main thing is their scheme, their approach, the way they're teaching the guys is going to be different because Greg Ciano, Bill Davis, a lot of the defensive coaches that honestly were a problem last year are gone. Uh, change seems to be the theme for, for, for this this team this year, uh, even if there is some continuity on that side. But uh Despite the changes, obviously expectations continue to remain high. Is there is there a main concern? Is it the offensive line? You mentioned four guys have to be replaced. I'm watching a guy every day at Bengals camp in Michael Jordan, who's gonna who's gonna he's pushing to start for sure. Um, and and you mentioned earlier you got a lot of guys to replace. Is the offensive line the biggest concern, or is there some other area? You know, I I, I don't know that there's a huge concern. I think I think like most of the groups are pretty good. It, a lot of it is like. Um, depth at some positions. They don't have any quarterback depth behind Jeff right. Fields, really. They don't really have much running back depth behind J.K. Dobbins. So, you know, four or five, new, four of the new starters on the offensive line are, are, you know, that's a thing, but they have like three top 50 national recruits lined up to fill those spots. Right. So they're ready to fill in. The line, I think, actually could be better. They're not very experienced right now. Um, I, I think just the main thing is. The newness, that, that if, if Dwayne Haskins and Urban Meyer were back this year, I think you could make a case for Ohio State being like maybe number two in the country yeah, going into so. the year, maybe only behind Clemson. But because you're replacing Dwayne Haskins with a new guy and you're replacing one of the best college football coaches ever with a new guy, it, it adds this level of uncertainty. But I think if Ryan Day and Justin Fields like are ready to roll right away, that this team's going to contend for a national title. Yeah, Tate Martell maybe should have stuck stuck around. He at least would have given him some depth there. He's, if he's going to back up, you might as well back up where he started, for goodness sakes. Although the point has been made, it, it is sunnier in Miami. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. All right, Doug, the Buckeyes faced the 26th toughest schedule this year, according to ESPN. Vegas set the over-under for this team at 10.5 wins. We'll put you on the spot one more time before we let you go. Do you think this team wins 11 or more games? No. Uh, I've been saying 9-3. and three. That was my early prediction in July before camp. I said I'll let uh, you know gather information and let myself change that. But I just think the schedule is sneaky tough. You know, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State in the East, and then there's three games in the West, or Nebraska, Wisconsin, and uh, Northwestern. None of those are gimmies. I think at Nebraska in week five is going to be tough. Uh, if you believe in Michigan, you know, at some point, Michigan will beat Ohio State sometime in the next 100 years. Yeah, so 2033. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe I'll be dead, but I think, you know, my <laughs> grandchildren might suddenly, you know, eventually see Michigan win that game again. So, you know, I the, the idea that, you know, Oregon Miller lost nine games in seven years. You know, that's ridiculous. That, you know, that's, it, 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 they could be really – the thing you have to keep in mind is, they could be really good right. and go 10. Right, exactly. Right? I mean, like, you, you're really good, but, like, Nebraska bites you, and then, like, you, you know, you lose a slug test at Michigan in the last game of the year, and you're 10-2, and, and you're really good. So I just think 11-1, 12-0 with, with Justin Fields 
learning the ropes is going to be tough. And again, I just think the schedule is sneaky hard mm-hmm. that Michigan State or Wisconsin or, or somebody like that might jump up and get up too. So I'm nine and three right now. I might end up at ten and two, but I think to expect you know just another repeat of you know hey another one loss year is just a hard thing to do for a first year coach and a first year quarterback. Hey, Doug, I enjoy your work on the Buckeye Talk podcast, but you guys are also doing something else that I think is kind of interesting with your insider text updates. Explain to me how that works for the fans out there that might be interested. You're letting me promote the text? Absolutely. Give me a raise for this. So it's cool. And like People like this. I said one or two, sometimes three texts a day. You get it like you get a text from your friend. You don't have to go anywhere and search for it. It's little nuggets of analysis. It's when I go to, I'm going to practice in half an hour, I'm going to text people something as I'm walking off the field of what I saw. You'll get that text before you can read a story because it takes me time to write a story. It's four bucks a month. You can subscribe at projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. We're trying it. We think it's an innovation that people can really like. There's a lot of Buckeye information out there. We realize that. But sometimes in a busy life, you don't have time to go find it all. This comes right to you. I've done this for 15 years. I know what I'm talking about. Um, people see that people can't get their heads around it exactly, but almost everybody who has tried it, who has, has liked it. So if, you, if you're interested in the Buckeyes, four bucks a month, it's like you know a cup of coffee to get daily updates about the team you love might be worth it. And I hear, is it possible you will actually even reply to a couple of those texters? Yes, yeah, so I do. I mean, like you, you can reply to me. And then I see that individual message, and then I reply to people as much as I can. You know, I can't, I can't get back to everybody all the time, but I definitely have individual text conversations with people where if you have a particular question about the team that you're wondering about, you might have a 15-year beat writer responding personally to you, which, again, I, I hope is worth, you know, 30 cents a day. Yeah, and far, probably far less snark back and forth than, than Twitter will give you, too. Yeah, no, it, it, there's no jerks on this. It's amazing. And, you know, most of the people on Twitter are, are nice, but like the most, you know, the, you know, the, the jerks can uh, can bring us all down. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a really good option. And I know there's a lot of options out there, but the idea that it comes right to your phone, you don't have to do any work for it, and there's a personal touch. I, I hope, I hope some people think that's worth it. Again, he's Doug Lamarie's from Cleveland.com and the Buckeye Talk podcast. Doug, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Doug. All right, Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh lashed out Tuesday night at UC coach Luke Fickle. Fickle had told The Athletic that Michigan hasn't supported transfer James Hudson's waiver request. Hudson, an offensive lineman, has said that he decided to transfer from Michigan due to mental health issues. Harbaugh said on Tuesday that Fickle called him in March asking him to lie about the circumstances surrounding Hudson's transfer. My question for you is, do you believe Luke Fickle and James Hudson or Jim Harbaugh in this situation? I think I believe a little of both. I think uh, you're exactly right. Everyone's li- telling the truth here. Yeah, using the term "lying" is 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 tough for me. I, I don't I don't I don't like that. I don't, I don't know if that because again, it's such a he said she said. I, I, the whole thing with all this is this. I do understand where Jim Har- Harbaugh is coming from. I do. He's even said he he would like to have people have the ability to transfer one time for free or just transfer for free, which we've talked about. I think that's the easiest solution for the NCAA. Somebody wants to go, they don't need an excuse. Let them go. We don't, we don't need any other other thing other than, you want to go? Go. The transfer portal, it's like the waiver wire. Just find a guy on there. Hey, you want to come to our school? You're in the transfer portal. Um, I, 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 you can only have so many guys on scholarship anyway, so it's not like you're going to take 133 transfers, and the transfers are usually transferring 
because they want to play. So they're looking for a place that they can go play. So it's it's I think it's a win for everybody. Mental health is real. Mental health issues are real. Depression is real. I'm not here to tell you James Hudson doesn't isn't dealing with that. And and if if he is, hopefully he's getting the help that he that he needs. I I, I do believe that. But it's we're in such a gray area here with this. Yeah, Michigan could have made this. The one thing I would say is Michigan could have made this easy by simply saying you're free to go. We'll, we'll help you. You're free to go. They didn't. And maybe shame on Jim Harbaugh, shame on Michigan. I think he's made a pretty good stance of it. He doesn't want to open the Pandora's box of anybody using any excuse, even if it's a legit one. I'm assuming this is real. I can't can't tell you James Hudson's lying, right? Nobody. It's not fair for me to say it. Right. But I also don't know that Justin Fields transferred from Georgia to Ohio State because somebody used a racial epithet. I don't know that. I don't know that. It could have. Right. it's, It's very possible. Does the NCAA really know that? But, I mean, come on. But Fields was cleared. Fields was cleared. Correct. And Tate Martell Hudson left was be- denied. Tate Martell transferred from Ohio State to Miami because of the change in the coaching staff and the mental anguish it put him. To- come on. Yeah, but but do you do we know why those guys were cleared? Because Ohio State and Georgia both ag- agreed. Basically, Correct. the school Correct. can release them. The school they're transferring yes. from can release, and them. that's and Michigan won't do that. Well, yeah. So and, and I know Jim Harbaugh's painted as a bad guy here, and he might be. I think he's Fifty Shades of Nuts. I do think that. I think he's he's way out there. Um. He doesn't want to open that Pandora's box. I get, I do get it. Um, at the same time, you weren't going to play UC. You're not playing UC. They're not on your schedule. James Hudson going to Cincinnati does nothing. I do think there's a little personal conflict here between Jim Harbaugh and Luke Fickle for sure. And some of it stems from the Ohio State Michigan yeah, days. Think? And I think that's what maybe this came down to at the end of the day. Yeah. So if the, the piece was really good. I'm and Justin Williams, who who did it for the athletic, is is really really good. I mean, the fact that he actually got Jim Harbaugh to talk stuns me, and the fact that Jim Harbaugh wanted to talk stuns because me. he's an egomaniac, correct? He can't resist, correct? Um, but it still left me in that gray area of I, I I don't know who to I don't know who to believe. Do you? Yeah. Well, so I think you're right about the fact that you can believe both of them in terms of what they're saying right yeah. now about how this played out. Now, if you're asking me who's in the wrong, it's 1,000% oh, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I agree like, with that. He, all he had to do was Say, release James yes. Hudson, and there's no reason not to. Right. And the fact that he's trying to say, I don't, I can't decide if guys have mental health issues, and so if they're just going to make it up after they leave my program, that does that's not going to fly here, right. and so I'm not going to release them, is essentially his defense for all of this. And now he's kind of backpedaling on all that. But him bringing up the fact that Luke Fickle called him back in March and tried to coach him through the process of how he should go about talking to the NCAA and getting uh, releasing James Hudson. I believe that happened. That's exactly the type of thing that happens in college recruiting. And I could totally understand if, if Jim Harbaugh's reaction to Luke Fickle calling him up and telling him what he should be doing to help him out with the player was screw you guy. You used to be at Ohio state beating my butt. There's no chance I'm going to help you out with this click. So, um, you know, he said they talked about moving Hudson from offensive line to defensive line and everything else. Right. Tried to make it like he was the good guy in the situation. He's clearly not. He's a jerk. He's screwing over a kid in the process of his own ego and the whole Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, I believe. It, it's unfortunate yeah, for the kid and his family. Right, because, I mean, like I said, if, if UC and Michigan played this year, I, I might be able to see you wanting to block that, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that I'm, makes sense to me. Yeah, but you're not. They're not on the, they're on the schedule this year. Not on the schedule next year. They won't be on the schedule in James Hudson's college career. So what's the hang up there, Jim? No, just pride. Yeah. Just ego yeah. and pride and being hardball. But it, it 
I don't, gonna hardball. I don't think he's lying in this specific instance about Fickle calling him up. Yeah, either. I don't. I, I, again, I mean, he said, she said scenario. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. Yeah, it just it seems likely that that's the type of thing that would happen. So I don't think he necessarily made that up. But I do think he's still an idiot it, and he could easily make the situation right. I will. Ho- I would hope. And we saw the NCAA backpedal very quickly on the uh, on the agents rule this week. I would hope that that the one thing that does come out of this is the NCAA does take a long look and say, all right, you know what? If you want to go, we'll give you one free. I I, I wouldn't mind if it's every year, but if, but let's start with a baby step of you get one free. If you want to go somewhere one time free, we're going to let everybody well, go for free. It's like you just tried to do the transfer portal thing, and now you're right back in the same situation Correct. with some Correct. guys are getting through and another guy's not. Why, why did that not fix the issue? Well, just let the, them through. The interesting part to this whole thing, too, is UC did have, in the last two weeks, three guys get cleared as transfers, yeah. the two guys we talked with Chad Reynolds about last week from Darian Beavers from UConn and the uh, Kyrie McDonald from Alabama, and then Blue Smith from from Ohio State got cleared this 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 week. Uh, it's it's crazy, and that's the thing. You see, into big time recruiting now. Luke Fickle has done a good yes. job of putting them yes. on a national level of recruiting, and with that comes trying to take transfers from other top universities. And with that comes risk. Some of those guys will not be available to play. So I don't feel terrible for UC. They got most of the guys eligible that are trying to get eligible. They didn't get a key piece that they needed, a key spot that they right. needed him at. But um, I, you know, I don't feel too bad for Luke Fickle in this situation either. I do feel bad for James Hudson and his family. Yeah, no, I do too. I do too. And, and again, like I said, I, I hopefully if, if worse came to worse out of this or maybe best comes to best, the NCA takes a longer look and decides, all right, you know what? We're being really hard-headed stupidly about this, which they are on a lot of topics. Let's just let at least one time. You get one free. Let's start at that baby step, and maybe we expand it, but let's start with that baby step. Skinny switching to college basketball. Now Xavier steamrolled its competition in the first two games of their Spain tour, winning on Saturday 80-53 and on Monday 109-74. The Musketeers finish up with their third and final game today after we record this podcast. My question, though, is what stood out to you from Xavier's two wins in Spain? The fact that you actually did color for a couple of games and are somehow back here doing this podcast. <laughs> That's what stood out to me the most. I mean, this this whole thing. I mean, do we, we got to play the clip? With- yes, yes. And they felt they were really getting it together. At the end of last season, you see the beautiful dump off there. Acrobatic look to Jones, who rocked the rim. Tyreek Jones, the senior out of Bloomfield, Connecticut, bringing the rim rocker. Seeing the power inside from the. I did that to you. There's no doubt. I thought the play-by-play guy was you until I heard the color guy and went, "Oh no, that's it. That's Rick Boring. I think that's what. That's podcast guy. I think that's that's podcast guy. I think that's what it is. I think it's the mixture of the two voices being. Similar tones to mind confusing people because that color guy dead like, on no dead way. on the dude. cadence the oh. Texas twang I don't have that you don't have the Texas twang I have Kentucky but, twang yeah but it, I'm telling you I have Midwestern nasally voice I, I I thought you did a pretty good job I mean I, you know you were a little dry but I thought you did a pretty good job with it and, I'm, and I, the fact again that you made it from Spain back to here for the podcast says a lot to me personally it says that you actually care enough to come back from Spain to do this podcast with me little old me here in Cincinnati after you were big time and everybody being the color guy in, in Spain I'm well in Austin Texas because that's where Flow Hoops is actually well, podcasting the aims from. Point. They're yeah, being that's, streamed that's in Spain. A good, that's a good call. And two dudes right. are sitting in a room yeah, like yeah, this podcast a, room that point. we're in right now. That's a good point. That looks a lot more like okay, an interrogation still, room but, but, down at the third district. So, okay, you're right. So you made it back from Texas, though. It still says a lot to me. And the thing is, we're doing this on a Wednesday morning. You got to get back for the game to do it t- at t- noon. To noon. I don't know how the hell you're going to do it. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be tough. I will say, I feel like my voice doppelganger needs to uh, step his game up in terms of his analysis. Like, you can only say 
Jason Carter made Ohio Bobcat fans cancel their season tickets one time. I don't think you can use that in both games multiple times. Dude, you're doing it for flowhoops.com. Remember that at all Yeah, times. I can't imagine what my paycheck is going to be for that. All right, back to your serious question, though, because it was a serious oh, question very that, you serious try, that you tried to ask. Journalism. I, I guess the, the, the balance and the fact that you've got a bunch of dudes who can score. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, I guess that, that's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be the freshman for me. I, Zach Fremantle has just really stood out, and I don't even think people have been wanting to talk about, well, Kiki Tandy at four threes in the second game. Right. Deontay Miles is kind of looking like he may be special. I mean, he can score it a little bit. And the way he runs the floor yeah, and I, the coordination, I mean, you just don't see seven-footers. Jackson Hayes light. That can run like that. And it's He's not that explosive, but, man, he runs and he I don't moves know. The, so, he, with such coordination. The only thing I will tell you is this. Jackson Hayes, it felt like within two years went from eh to lottery. I don't think Deontay Miles does that, but if Deontay Miles goes from project to all of a sudden the way he's playing, the fact that there's even more upside, it I think it can happen for those big guys pretty quickly. Brian Snow has been saying for a while after he saw Deontay Miles at a, a tournament this winter that he thinks he has NBA upside. Not saying he's I there yet, but I, he thinks he has NBA upside. I don't disagree with that. I questioned that for a while. Not saying he didn't, but I said I need to see more before I'm going to say this guy could be an NBA player. He can be an NBA player. I, I think that's very clear. He, he still has eye-popping agility for a guy his size even at this level i coached against him when he was he was a year older than my team but we were playing in a tournament we were playing a year up just to get better competition we were in the finals of a tournament louisville and i remember seeing him and i i knew a couple of the other players i didn't even know who deontay miles was at the time but i knew the coach and i knew a couple of players were walton verona kids and that's where deontay ended up going um and I, I was looking at you know you, you you always try to size guys up in the in the layup line right sure. i'm looking i'm looking i thought you know what athletically we'll probably match up with this big kid and i'm thinking Nah, he's just a big gangly kid. There's, it, what's he gonna do? He's just, he's, yeah, he's gonna block a shot. I think he probably blocked 15 shots. He didn't do a whole lot offensively, but at that point, I'm like, wow, this guy's got some elite shot blocking ability. And then you know, I watch his career evolve, and it evolved from we when I coached at Beachwood and we played him his sophomore year, and he was very raw offensively, but had some of that stuff. Then I watched him in the state tournament this year. I hadn't seen him until probably then, and I thought. Man, he's got some offensive game now. A little back to the basket, got a nice little turnaround bank shot. He's got some offensive skill now. And the fact what he's doing, it, I think it just comes, it just starts to come for big guys. I think it's really coming for him. I think he's got a chance to be special. And it, it's, I think it's going to make a really interesting situation here when we come back for fall practice because it's a guy that you figured he was going to be your third or fourth right, big man on this right. year's team and you're going to redshirt him. Well, now it's like he might be able to help you this year. Now, the problem with that is Zach Freeman, who I was just mentioning before, was even more impressive right. as a freshman. So he's probably the backup right now to Tyreek Jones. So at best, and Kiki's pretty good too. Well, Kiki's great, but I mean, at the guard positions, just right. talk about the big yeah, right, 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 right now. Right. What you're going to do with Deontay Miles? It's like if he's only your third center, and you've got two power forwards already. Also, how often does your third center get used? That, do you want to burn that, a year of fair. eligibility? Right. And that's a good, that's a legit question because you look at a guy like James Farr. You know, who had you redshirted him for a year by his senior year, right. he was so good, right. but he didn't have that one more year where he could have he could have kept a year of eligibility. So, but then you then you have that that whole thing. I don't think Deontay Miles is this. I don't think it gets to that point. What but if what, they leave early? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you're that fine line with that. But I think there's still so much benefit to the year off yeah. of just preparing yourself. You look at what Justin Patton, a Creighton, did with him. He sat out a year. He ended up being a one and done right. because he sat out that first year. But that first year of redshirting got him so prepared to play 
as a redshirt yeah, freshman. Yeah, and, and I just I don't know if Deontay Miles is, is that level. No, I, done. But I don't think he is. But you never know. I mean, I don't think anybody would have said if you'd have seen Jackson Hayes as a junior at Moeller, There's no way you would have said not only one and done, one and done lottery guy. Yeah. Right? And by the way, Deontay is like that same age because he's very yes, young. Yes. He's 17 years old right now. It's just it's really interesting watching. He he keeps impressing at each, at each turn. But again, going back to it, Zach Fremantle has been the biggest standout right. to me. I mean, the kid he's he's right there with Najee Marshall right so, behind him as so, their so, second leading yeah, scorer. So now now we're into a team that's what nine deep, ten deep. I mean, yeah, you're 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 definitely eight, and I think legitimately nine deep, right? Pretty clearly. So whereas I, last year you were trying to find a third and fourth scorer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the fact that. Guys only had a certain skill set, like Ryan Wellage. Yeah, he could make a three every once in a while. What else could he do? He couldn't do much. You couldn't play Hankins and, and Tyreek Jones together just because they kind of have a similar skill set, although you wind up doing that some. Um, it feels like the parts are just way, way better, and they're they're way more mixable this year for Xavier. Yeah, and that first game, they shot really poorly from the outside, and it was kind of like a, okay, yeah, you've got more depth, right, but if but you can't get, put the ball in no, the basket, fair, you may yeah. have the same issues. That second game, though, they shot the ball really well, and Kiki Tandy showed you, this is why. This is what you were looking for from the freshman class. Do you have a guy that can come in and hit shots? He went four from six from beyond the yep. arc. That's exactly what you needed last year off the bench out of one of your guards, and no, cool. you just never got it. All right, get out of here and get to Austin. No, wait, we got to finish the podcast first. <laughs> Skitty, we talked on this podcast about my disdain for feet in the past. I like feet. So you can understand how bothered I was by the big news in the NFL this week with Raiders <laughs> wide receiver Antonio Brown. The former Steeler left training camp due to frostbite blisters on his feet suffered during a mishap in a cryogenic chamber. But he really made waves when he threatened to quit playing due to the fact that the NFL won't let him use his old helmet, a model that has been deemed unsafe and phased out by the league. Are the Raiders going to regret signing Antonio Brown to a three-year, $50 million contract in the offseason? Of course not, because he's really good. He's really, really good. Did you see those feet? I did see those feet. Now, That's those feet, nasty, yeah, Those feet keep you from, from being really good, and they could. You don't think they won't? Uh, they could. I mean, they are nasty. There's no question about it. Uh, that looks painful. It looks very painful. I've puked almost multiple times looking at those Well, you don't pictures. like feet anyway. I mean, Oh, you think? I can only imagine if they're ugly feet, let alone good look. I mean, good-looking feet freak you out. Ugly feet got to really scare the crap out of you. Yeah. By the way, update on the girl who yes. I threw off the couch that was in jail. Yes. Out of jail now. Well, that's always good to know. Good. <laughs> that's exciting. Is she after you or is she stalking you? I'm not, I, uh, no. I, oh, okay. I don't think so. We'll see. You. It usually takes <laughs> I, a little while. The they fact that you knew that she was out of jail. Yourself. How did you, did you, did you find that out yeah. through circles? Or? I've got connections. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jailtracker.com. Well, will be out there. We mentioned it on the last podcast. Someone knew exactly what I was talking about. I was okay. Like, well, she just got out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm not in the market. So. <laughs> okay, there, there, there's that. No, if, if he's if he's healthy and 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 Antonio Brownish, he's going to be. They, no, they're not going to regret that signing. I know everybody think that seems like the easy answer, right? Because he is he is way way out there. He is just he's goofy. Um, he's probably just about as bad a teammate as you can probably have. Although I did watch the first Hard Knocks, I thought he came off pretty well in that one. I've not I've I've DVR'd the one from from Tuesday night. I'm looking forward to to seeing that one. But if Antonio Brown skill set is still what it was in Pittsburgh, of course you're not going to regret that. The guy's too good. I, Talent usurps all, bro. You know that, right? You 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 know, you know that. You're right. You're right. But I do think guys can tear down locker rooms, and that Raiders locker room has not been established yet. I don't know that they have a single leader in the bunch. I think they have John Gruden, who's not going to put up with crap. I, 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 if you saw the first episode, the fact that he just dressed down the rookie safety the way he did for hitting somebody in practice. I, there was one comment was, because the kid tried to be smart back to him, he said, 
listen, there's other leagues that can pay you some money if you want to go play. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I, I you know, I don't think I don't like John Gruden per se. I think he's obviously narcissistic and egomaniacal, and I'm not sure he's as great of a football coach as everybody thinks he is. But I also think he's got enough cachet that he's just not taking any crap from anybody. You would hope, but they also need Antonio Brown. Of course and they the do. The problem is if that, of course they do. The rest of the locker room doesn't like him. I mean, look, you this, know what? He, he I tore the Steelers apart a little bit last year. He did a little bit. I don't think he's the cause of them not making the playoffs, but I do. I think he played a role in it. I think he played a little bit of a because role because that in it. team had talent. It did, but it also had some defensive deficiencies. Dude, Antonio Brown, you, you'll agree. Antonio Brown's stupid, stupid good. good, best receiver in the NFL stupid when good. he's playing. Talent usurps all. It just it does. look. The Bengals put up with Vontez Burvick for a long time for a reason. When Vontez Burvick was and healthy, I, I would argue good. it hurt them. And it finally came to the point of well, it didn't. It didn't. They made playoffs with him, and they honestly they and lost playoff wins fair, because of fair it. Fair enough. But the guy was 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 talented enough to put up with it. And finally, when the talent level got to a point where it wasn't good enough, bye bye. That's I, just I, the way this works. But I, I I'm with you. I wish. I, I, listen, I wish everybody was AJ Green. I do. He's just a be. He's just a perfect teammate. He does his job. He's got enough of a leadership. He speaks when he needs when, when something needs to be said. He'll say it. If it doesn't, he's not going to say it. I wish, but everybody's not. I mean, that locker room, you know locker rooms. Right, but the Bengals locker room wasn't the model locker room for the years that Vontez Perfect was there. And a lot of the things said about the locker room was the lack of discipline is an issue. The fact that Marvin won't stand up to these guys is an issue. And that's what so, I'm saying. John Gruden and, will. Right, but you, but I mean, how long will it take? If it take, I mean, because Antonio Brown could end up and standing up to him might mean getting him the hell out of here within a year. And at that it, point, it you guaranteed him $30 million Agreed. of that $50 million. So you're going to regret giving him that contract if that's the case. And if his foot is good, his feet are good, and he's able to play 16 games, his production will make him more than worth it. I think you're probably More than right. worth it. I, I don't think, think they're a great team, but his production, he will make Derek Carr look really good. Now, I don't, I won't hear, I'm not here to tell you that, that Antonio Brown made Ben Roethlisberger, because I think Ben Roethlisberger is really good. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger, but I think he's really good. I think anybody that watches football can at least acknowledge Dude, dude's a good quarterback, right? He 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 makes he makes plays. But I think Antonio Brown helped help Ben Roethlisberger look pretty good at times. I I do, um, and I think he'll do the same thing for Derek. I think Antonio Brown will do the same thing for Derek Carr. I, I do. Feet are gross. They are gross. I'm not going to lie to you. Not all feet are gross, though. Just remember that. Yes, they are. You know Feeders what I are and, you know, and you know what I had to do on the airplane um, coming back from Kansas City. Actually, we went through St. Louis. You didn't Febreze, to Chicago. Did you? No, but I did have to take my shoes off. I did have socks on. What? I took my tennis shoes off. Why? Because it. That's not okay. Listen, okay. Here, here, Why would you do you, that? You got to hear me out. No. I left. I I got up at five o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Flew to Kansas City. Covered a game. Worked till three o'clock in the morning. I was tired, but I had a little bit. I saw my flight coming back, though. The way it was routed, it went Kansas City to St. Louis, had a two-and-a-half-hour layover, St. Louis to Chicago, stayed on the plane in Chicago, and then Chicago to Cincinnati. So it was just one of those ones where my feet just got, they, they needed to kind of. Dogs are barking. They needed to breathe a little, bro. I, I And I did make sure. I, here's here's what I did do. I took my shoes off, and I did kind of like smell just to make sure it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I, I, this I, is not an acceptable excuse. It, it didn't smell. I will. I will. I will leave you with that. Well, okay? you can take it up with the plain courtesy police, Jed Demusi, and see how he feels about <laughs> I it. Had, but I can tell you right I now, I had my footies on. It didn't smell. I your I, footies I, and your summertime short pants. My summertime short pants. My footies and my summertime short what pants. What is wrong with you? <laughs> exactly right. I I I I made sure of that. Trust me, I did because I thought if this smells, I'm going to put my shoes. I'm going to kindly put my shoes back on. But I had to take my. I'm. I just had to take them off. You're you're essentially a terrorist. I did not pass gas on the airplane, though. I will tell you that somebody two seats in front of me crapped their pants, but I did not. 
And I think they literally crap their pants. I think there's a baby up there. You're both terrorists. I probably are. All right, Rick. Hey, our thanks to, uh, I got to say it right again, Doug LeMaurice from Cleveland.com, who covered Ohio State for joining us. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. We'll be back next week. We'll talk some more college football with uh, another guest du jour. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Pope Re-Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.